Trip, you and I love talking about baseball, but as much as we love talking about baseball, we love watching it in person even more. And I have good news. We're now partnering with our friends over at SeatGeek to bring listeners $20 off tickets for whatever game they want to see. Yes, $20 off. And all you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find the game you want to see. Maybe you want to go to the home opener for the National League champion Phillies. I don't blame you. I wish I could be there. And you're going to enter the promo code Backside Ground Ball and get 20 bucks off. Maybe you're just looking to travel to a stadium you haven't ever been to this summer. See some big league action. Last summer, I got to see Sandy Alcantara. It was very exciting. I've been a big fan. I had never seen him throw. And this summer, I can go see him again. You could go see him. All you have to do is go to SeatGeek, enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL, and you'll get $20 off your first ticket buy. SeatGeek, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Do it this summer. Go check some games out. By Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls Podcast College Edition. We're going with the week six. Review, recap, or preview. I don't really exactly know which it is. Is it a week six review, week six preview? I don't know. I wish I knew. I probably should have counted it before I started rambling on about that. But a uh, big weekend of baseball that we just had and, and really, really big weekend of baseball that we have ahead. So, Dan, as we sit here today on Wednesday evening, this episode is going to air on Friday, so people are going to see game one of probably the most important series in baseball this year. What are your thoughts going into the week? Mets Marlins? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's going on, dude? How you doing? Oh, I can't complain. <laughs> yeah. I uh, Arguably, until the next weekend when LSU goes to South Carolina. That's what you get in the SEC, though. That's, I mean... It's gonna it's gonna be a, a an exciting weekend, and um, this is what's so fun about conference play. I mean, you know, we'll get Wake and Duke at some point. I mean, Texas has a really big series on the road, as hot as they are this week. So it's just it's awesome. It's it's every week, and I know a lot of people. You know, I, I've talked to um, this is kind of random, but I've talked to several people the last couple of weeks about college baseball because i'm like you know one of the things now that i don't coach is i've gotten into college baseball and you know what every single all baseball fans you know what every single one of them have said to me something about paul Skeens being disgusting no they should but they're all like you know what's funny i could care less about college baseball and i'm just like i'm, I'm like pitching it i'm like yeah, you should i said because the thing that that we've kind of highlighted on here every time we've done this is like there's just so much talent right now that like, okay, sure, I get like, oh, I don't really care. I don't need to see bad baseball, whatever. Like, sure, some quirky things happen, whether it's a game's going to end because the catcher touches the ball with his mask went after a really good block, right, sliding, right? I don't know if you saw that clip. Did you see that clip? No, Fairfield. I Fairfield. I, I told you. I don't watch videos that I know are going to irritate me. Shouldn't irritate you. It doesn't irritate. I mean, I don't know if it's irritating, but Fairfield and St. John's this week, uh, midweek game ended, uh, we had 11th inning runner on third i guess and we had a catcher's ball he 
kid makes a really nice play sliding to his right, blocking the ball. Mass comes off to find the ball. It's just a little bit out in front of him. So he just slides it back to himself with the mask and everyone was complaining. It's the, it's the right call. It's unfortunate, but like that's a catcher's balk. You're not allowed to do it. So kid scores. And anyway, you will see stuff like that, but the talent is so good. I mean, you turn on, like you said, turn on LSU and watch the best player and best pitcher in college baseball on the same team, on the same field. Like, there's nothing amateur about Paul Skeen's blowing 102. Nothing. No. So? Nothing. And there's nothing amateur about Dylan Cruz's just ability oh. to hit. Um, and. Obviously, like you mentioned, we're probably going to spend the next two weeks talking a lot about LSU, specifically LSU in Tennessee this weekend, LSU in South Carolina next weekend. We are going to be at the South Carolina LSU game on Thursday and Friday. Um, so for anybody who's interested on in getting live looks of Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, everything you could imagine, Dan and I are going to be there in Columbia, South Carolina for those two nights. So Super exciting, but that's still a week away. Um, a week from tomorrow, actually, we'll be driving down there, getting ready for that Thursday night game. So uh, it's coming quick, and and we're gonna enjoy that. But first off, we'll we'll recap the weekend. Uh, we LSU responded after dropping the Friday night game, uh, the Paul Skeens outing. So you don't usually get a chance to to win a series, but that just shows how talented they are, especially offensively. Um, against number six Arkansas, they won those games twelve to two and fourteen to five. Um, as I said in the last episode, in a series that used to matter, and I knew this was going to happen, uh, Texas extends their winning streak to fourteen games. Fourteen games. So obviously, we were doing a great job of making sure that we were paying enough attention to know that they were going into the weekend with eleven game win streak over Texas Tech. Um, so they are now creeping into a lot of te- people's top twenty-five. After you know, we'll kind of talk about this because we do want to talk about Texas a little bit. But that first weekend, those teams that they played look a lot better right now that they got they went zero and three against in the college baseball showdown. Number 11, Tennessee responds from, as Dan liked to put it, uh, Vitello's midweek message um, after getting punched in the face by Missouri to sweep a really good Texas A&M team that's kind of reeling right now. Uh, Number four, Wake Forest. I mean, this team is just starting to feel like a team of destiny, um, especially for a team of the caliber of Wake Forest and not the program history that some of these other schools have as they sweep number 13, Miami. Number three, Louisville drops the series on the road at Notre Dame. That's a big one. Uh, that's a team that kind of came out the gates hot and are showing some some flaws. Number 14, South Carolina. They continue their huge start to the season, uh, sweeping number 18, Missouri, after Missouri obviously swept Tennessee in big fashion, uh, and they dropped the midweek to Charlotte, South Carolina did. So they did go 3-1 and one on the week, but they got three wins that really did, in fact, matter. Number two, Florida went to Swayze Field and handles the reeling. Number 15, Ole Miss. Number nine, UCLA drops a series at home to a team that's, you know, really fun to watch if you are a late person. You stay up late at night. Washington's playing really good baseball out there in the Pac-12. In a battle of some solid programs, UConn pushes its way into the top 25 with the series sweep of Rutgers. Rutgers obviously is a team that I saw early in the year uh like the talent but it seems like there's something just off with the with the dynamic that they have whether it be depth or pitching depth and offensively depth 
in our mid-major battle of the week, Sam Houston State went to Arizona to take down number 25, Grand Canyon. So, Dan, obviously there's a ton of series to unpack. What were some things that stood out to you coming off this weekend? Well, we had mentioned it uh, when we were in non-conference play, when we were talking about kind of the ebbs and flows of some of these teams in Texas is the perfect example of like get it together for conference play, right? Like a lot of your non-conference stuff. And when you're a high-profile team, you're going to play in high-profile series early on. But, I mean, the end game is like make sure you have your ducks in a row for conference play. Um, and they've, they've done that. That's a great job. And, and uh, you know, that UConn series is a little surprising just because I think the, our proximity the past couple of years to the Rutgers program and always seeing their coaches out on the road recruiting or whatnot, or, you know, just being up at diamond nation at some of the premier events and knowing some of the kids that are going to play there, we know that they're doing a good job. Right. And that, that program's going to turn around here soon. I think you and I both kind of believe that. Um, but you kind of always seems to, to put it together. I mean, there's a ton of talent packed in up in the Northeast, you know, other than like, it seems like football, like you talk basketball and baseball and like off-brand sports, like the Northeast up there just has a collection of talent. So UConn's always got a, a, a solid team, it seems like. But still, you, I think we're both kind of waiting to see more from Rutgers just because we we have a little bit of a behind-the-curtain view just as far as seeing some of the kids that we know that are going there play in the high, at the high school level. So that was a little surprising. And then uh, Sam Houston, man, like Grand Canyon, I think I saw that was their first series loss at home in a couple years maybe. Um I believe it. Conference I it series loss. I think it was first. Yeah, first conference series loss in a couple of years. And then uh, last, I'm so bought into Wake Forest. I am so on the bandwagon. That's the first time they've uh, swept Miami in program history. Yeah, that weekend was loud. Like, I know they've been playing yeah. really good baseball. I mean, they're sitting at 22-3 and three on the year, so it's not like they've showed very many flaws. But, you know, it was kind of all building up to this weekend quite frankly we went and saw them play duke and they looked good they actually lost in the game we watched but we watched the other two games of their series and they looked sharp kind of same team same thing they've been doing all year and then you know you're kind of building up for this moment of when miami does visit wake forest and to just sweep them and miami year to year there feels like there's the ebbs and flows like they have great weekends they have bad weekends but for wake forest I didn't think Miami played bad. They were coming off of multiple really good series wins, um, playing really good baseball, and Wake Forest just kind of took it to them. That's, and that's a really good ball club. That's a really deep rotation on the weekend side. That's a really good lineup. That, that, I mean, and especially at their park where it's small, it, it's a fun place to hit. Um, it plays small, pitching to be able to sw- get the swing and miss. We talked about that when we originally talked about Wake Forest is it's going to take a pitching staff with swing and miss that can allow your offense to do what they need to do. And they showed against Miami that Miami with as much talent as they have, they didn't exactly come in there and light the world on fire and score a ton of runs. The Wake Forest's pitching staff held them in check and allowed the offense to really take off like they've been doing all year. And to get back to the Texas thing, we'll start with Texas. And and obviously, I mean, it's been, I guess what you would deem a Texas turnaround. I think it's a, it, it's always tough because what we deem as good records in college baseball is different than what like MLB is, right? So you have to keep into right. context. I believe right now they're sitting somewhere around like 14 and 8, 15 and 8. If I'm not mistaken, eight losses to a program like Texas is like not great this quick in the season. And, and they're not exactly starting off. But when you look at 
the three of those losses, and it was on opening weekend and the college baseball showdown. They look really good right now in terms of who those teams came against. They had Arkansas beat them on a Friday night, which is tough. That's a good Arkansas team. There's nobody denying that. They're playing really good baseball. They had Vandy blow them out on a Sunday, and this was the kicker where people started to give up on Texas was the Missouri loss on a Saturday. Uh Well, the way we view Missouri now is a lot different than the way we viewed Missouri weekend one of the season. So it's really interesting to see how that turns around. And then they have another loss in the midweek to LSU. And then you lose to Cal State Fullerton, right, twice. So you're looking at six losses against pretty solid programs. And you're you're kind of reeling, quite frankly. Um, And in, in the eyes of a lot of Texas fans, you're not playing your best baseball. But, you know, now they've won 14 straight after a sweep against a really good Texas Tech team who everybody thought was the class of the Big 12 after taking out Oklahoma State in weekend one. And now we have a completely different conversation about what the Big 12 looks like. The Big 12's doing their best uh, football impress- impersonation. They're, they might just cannibalize themselves. You know, where it's like they just they all beat each other and, and you feel like there's a six-team tie at the top of the Big 12. Because um, typically, you know, you could say that that could happen in the SEC, but it, to me it seems like there's always one or two teams at the top of the SEC that yeah. pulls away. Like you look at Tennessee last year, like, yeah, a lot of those teams beneath Tennessee beat each other up, but Tennessee rolled. Right. And then obviously you have Ole Miss who becomes a national champion out of that conference. Um, and then this year it looks like, you know, yeah, there's, there, you know, a lot of those teams you see Ole Miss lose early, you see Tennessee lose early, but it's like, is anyone going to beat Florida and LSU? Like, I don't know. Those teams might separate. Whereas in the Big 12, it's like any given weekend, yeah. you know, a handful of those teams at the top are just going to beat up on each other. And, and Texas goes and, and, uh, beats up on, on tech and then, you know, Oklahoma state this weekend could just turn around and do the same thing. So, um, that's kind of fascinating. Don't, don't mistake it for that. The big 12 is, is down or weak. Like I think these are good teams. And again, you know, Texas had to replace some production if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe the golden spikes award winner played there last year. So I, I like to me again, like they just needed to find their footing and listen, I heard, uh, coach Pierce talk, Either in Dallas, it must have been in Dallas because that would have kind of been them hosting the at the convention in twenty whatever. It was might have been before his first year there. Like, he's an impressive guy when you listen to him talk. Like that's someone that like you, you know listening to him. It was like he he was the way he presented himself, the way the staff around him presented themselves that weekend. Just seeing him out and about. Obviously, I'm not glad handing or talking to those guys. <laughs> Who's the pitching coach from Goldie Peak? If he wanted to pick my brain or anything like that, but you know just. Listening to him and then seeing how those guys carried themselves, like the, you could tell that he was going to do a good job, and and uh, I think it's a good thing. Like we want Texas baseball to be good. Like you always, again, there's so many similarities in college sports. You talk about it in football. You want Texas football to be good, but you want uh, you want Texas baseball to be good. There's so many. Uh, there's so much history there, uh, obviously with Augie Garrido, and and um, so I think it's good to see to see them kind of catching their their groove right now, riding the wave. Yeah, I mean, you always talked about it early in the year when we talked is you kind of just need to get your footing for conference play. I mean, mm-hmm. that was what, as a from a coach's perspective, I know we get all tied in on the outside from the week to week, the day to right. day. Oh, you slipped up here. You lost these games here. How did you lose to Missouri? Missouri is not a good baseball program. Right. And all those things that are, you know, obviously a part of the narrative, but 
if you're a coaching staff and and you're Coach Pierce in Austin, Texas right now, and you're playing your best baseball come conference time, you don't really care about non-con. And that I bet you right now that Missouri game and even that opening weekend feels like it was three years ago yeah, to them like in, in that clubhouse. It Correct. Like it was last year, I'm sure. Right. It's like, right. You know, it's like, wait, we lost that first weekend? Like, I remember even last year at Arcadia, like, we dropped our opening game of the year, and by the time week four came, by the time we were in Florida, which is not that deep in the season, it's like 10 games later, you're like, wait, we lost that first game of the season? I forgot that. You know, because when, especially when you're playing good baseball and you're rolling and guys are performing and guys are playing well and not making mistakes, it feels like a completely different club because that team that lost game one, it's like, ooh, that wasn't what we are. That wasn't how we play. And this team's obviously turning it around. And, and offensively, you know, I wouldn't say they're, they're world beaters. You mentioned the fact that they had a very tough task of replacing Ivan Melendez, who hit 387 last year with 32 home runs in route to the Golden Spikes Award in a professional baseball career. Uh, but this year so far, they're hitting 286 as a team with 35 home runs and 27 stolen bases. So it's not these dynamic offenses like we talk about South Carolina. South Carolina is probably up in the 60s for home runs. Uh, you talk about teams like Vanderbilt that might run a little bit more, create a little bit more havoc in a couple different ways. You know, Texas seems to be finding their footing in a little bit of a more well-rounded kind of speed power mix. And they're led by Porter Brown, who's hitting 360 with six home runs. Eric Kennedy's hitting 356 with seven home runs. And Peyton Powell's probably the guy. And, and this is kind of one of those things when you have a lot of roster turnover who has been in limited playing time, quite frankly. He's kind of just now been an everyday guy. He's hitting 397 with five home runs. So obviously that has to play a major part of it. And I'd love to know your take on it. And the fact of when you have, we talked about this with Vanderbilt, when you have roster turnover, you have guys you need to replace. There's guys that step up that quite frankly, they don't hit in the fall. They don't hit in the preseason. They take average BP and then the lights come on and they just absolutely show up. And it looks like Peyton Powell's a guy that could be, could be, one of those guys that's not in line to start as a true freshman or in his, or whatever the scenario was early in the year, but as the season goes on and as he gets more game at-bats, he's starting to grow into a really serious impact talent. Yeah, and I think, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, and I'm sure there are people who have their opinions on it that are in it, but when, you, when you're a college coach and you're around a program, right, ideally what you're doing is you're always, you always have your eyes a little bit forward, right? And you do that in recruiting and you do that in – um, development day to day, right? The, the nine guys that go out there on a consistent basis, you know, are just as important as the guys on your bench because, like you said, you're always going to have roster turnover in college sports, you know, no matter what. You know, people want to talk about the transfer portal, and that's a thing, but to me, it's like there was always roster turnover, whether it's guys, you know, leaving after three years to go to the draft or it's guys who are graduating and moving on with their lives. Um, so ideally, right, you're you're bringing your stacking recruiting classes and then you're developing those guys and necessarily, yeah, you might have a really good recruiting class come in, but those guys might not help you right away. Yeah. And again, from the outside perspective, we want to you just forget about them because you're on to the guys that are playing currently and you're on to the names that you're hearing about that are coming in that are that are recruits, right? The next good recruiting class that you're hopefully stacking. Well, it's like, yeah, but this guy who hasn't played that much and maybe hasn't performed as much as a freshman who everyone was excited about before he got on campus. It's the same thing we talk about with prospects at the big league level, right? Like, yeah, yeah when the recruits ranked number 15, he's a lot more important than he is as a freshman. 
right? Like he's, he's, it's a lot. Wow. Like that kid's really good. And sometimes it doesn't happen. But I think when you look at these successful teams and you look at successful programs and how they're built, whether it's, you know, Vanderbilt or, um, some of these other schools in the ACC, those guys who you've forgotten about that were, you know, highly touted as recruits are competing on the field for you as a sophomore and a junior. And they're starting to put their impact on it. Right. And that's almost like their, uh, their money year is then. Yeah. So it, that's how, uh, th- that's kind of the idea of what you would like to do is to, yeah. um, build your program that way so that you're always stacking, mm-hmm. right? So that, that way when guys leave and you do have the inevitable roster turnover, you just plug and play guys and they might not always be freshmen yeah. and, and the transfer yeah. portal changes things and can make that a little more difficult if guys get disgruntled, but your hope would be that those guys don't and they buy into what you're building and, w- and what your idea for their future is. Yeah. And, and even to build off that a little bit is Peyton Powell's in his fourth year as a Texas right. Longhorn. He's right. a redshirt junior. He's a guy who, if you look at his, his stats over the course of his career, it's, He's not a world beater. He's never done anything that's been that impressive. And and those are the guys that obviously in our age, day and age today, I forget who whoever the third baseman was for the Tennessee last year. I can't exactly remember his name off the top of my head, but it was like, oh, in the transfer portal era, a guy who's in senior and sticks it out and you know, exactly. There's pros and cons to it and all, but you know, that is kind of the feel good story for a guy like Peyton Powell, who is in his fourth year of the program, who obviously didn't start the season as a consensus starter. He obviously started as like kind of more of a role guy and, and everything of that nature, but then he turns it on when he gets playing time and he's hitting 397 with five home runs. And even if he doesn't technically hit 400 with power the rest of the way, you know, if he hits 280 with with some juice the rest of the way, you're talking about a guy who you probably didn't expect to play very much through the course of your year, and he ends up hitting, you know, 340 with 10-plus homers. And you'd sign any coaching staff would sign up for a guy who's going to hit like that, especially for a guy you didn't expect to be an everyday starter, let alone middle-of-the-order bat who's really impacting the team and, and dominating on a day-to-day basis. So it's it's good to see that. And, you know, let's kind of turn over to the pitching side a little bit here. And um, obviously they had a tough time. They had to replace Pete Hansen, who was great last year. He'd been pitching on Fridays for Texas for two years at that point. Uh, and then it, also they do not have consensus first-round pick Tanner Witt. So, again, we're talking about the lineup having to replace pieces. Well, the pitching staff isn't exactly what it was last year so there's going to be some roster turnover so you know dana from your perspective what's that kind of process like where you know you're trying to find you're always evaluating and you're trying to find what arms are going to work and what arms aren't and you know at a place like texas the talent is through the roof it's you know how do you kind of let these guys kind of fill in the the chess pieces on their own well, it helps when you have a guy like Lucas Gordon who's just going to basically do it, right? <laughs> like go out there and, and put up the numbers and be the unquestioned kind of Friday night guy who's going to, you know, shove. I mean, he's been fantastic um, so far. And, and that's kind of what your hope is, is that guys will just step up and, and settle it themselves, right? Like you don't want to have to be. But again, this all goes back to when you're trying to replace arms too. Like you got to find the roles for guys. And sometimes it takes a couple weeks and, like you said, from a fan perspective and the outside looking in, we're so week to week, we, you know, everything hinges on it. And when you're, you know, a diehard Texas fan, you want to see results right away. And you expect to be in the conversation as one of the best in the nation from opening day on. But when you're trying to replace things and build, you know, 
build something up, right? Like the, Texas hadn't been what what we thought of it for a while, and, and um, they had a great run a couple years ago. But like that foundation still isn't there where it's going to be a year to year juggernaut just yet. They're on their way, and and the talent that they can accumulate there is definitely. Um, show signs of being able to do that. But from a pitching standpoint, like you, you got to be able to figure out what guys can throw in what roles, what guys um, can't, who you can trust, who you can rely on in certain situations. And sometimes that takes a little bit of time. Like, again, it's hard to be patient, but again, that's why it's so important. And even going back to the point of like, if you struggle early on and how it feels like it was three years ago, you just have to be so where your feet are with your team at all times as a coach, like understand that sometimes what happened in the past you know, three weeks ago, this kid's now a different player because we've continued to just trust the process and, and um, you know, continue to develop and continue to work with someone. And again, like the college level, I mean, pitchers are hard. We say this every episode now, whether it's the health of pitchers or judging the development of pitchers, it's really tough. I mean, who would have thought a ninth round pick who is a college shortstop would be the guy who has the best stuff we've ever seen in the world right? And Jacob DeGrom, like, you don't know that Kelly Jansen was a catcher. Like, so it's Josiah Gray was a, was a reliever and and college shortstop. Like you, it's so hard. It's not always, there isn't always going to be Paul Skeens, right? And then on the flip side, sometimes when those guys are your one, one overall pick, then they run into issues. Like we've seen, you know, countless times. So when you're talking about pitchers, especially at the age of 18 to 23 years old, it can be volatile and it can be so year to year sometimes, unfortunately, especially if you're not talking about necessarily frontline consensus first round picks. They had one of those. They lost him. Right. So now that that throws another wrench into your plans. Right. Because like you you feel like at least when you have that. OK, we, we have a guy He's going to be a first round pick. He's our Friday guy. He's going to go out there. We know what he's going to do. Right. Like how much easier is it for Jay Johnson right now to manage his pitching staff when he gives the ball to Paul Skeens every Friday? It makes your life easy as a coach. Like, yeah, you look, you're, you're not a genius. You're doing the most obvious thing in the world, right? Like, you, you know, my dog could tell Paul Skeens to go out there on Friday and throw seven innings. So, I, I you know, that that makes it a little bit tougher. And, and man, pitching's king at this level. It really is. Like, obviously, you need to be able to hit. But you look at all the teams at the top and what do all the teams at the top have. You look at the top four or five teams in the country right now and you can name their number one starter you can name the guy that goes out there on friday right you even get down to arkansas and you can name their friday night starter um yeah and that like that's how you win yeah yeah and and it's great you brought up that pitching is king because we're gonna head a little bit east to the state of mississippi and man (laughs) they're struggling on the mound right now both both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So they both combined have started 0-12 in SEC play. Uh, it's never happened. The state of Mississippi obviously has a lot of pride in the baseball programs that they have. They have a lot of pride in in how they play, how they show up on a year-to-year basis. There's a lot of expectations. And on top of all of that, let's combine it all full circle. These are your last two national champions in college baseball. Mississippi State won the national championship, followed it up with Ole Miss last season, coming off a rough start. And now we're looking at these two teams that, quite frankly, I think Ole Miss is in a different spot than Mississippi State. Mississippi State is borderline reeling, uh, but they both have their flaws and they both do not look like, a, quite frankly, SEC competitors and teams that recruit at the level that 
these schools recruit at and have loyal fan bases that show up every Friday night for important baseball games. And the team's just not holding up their end of the bargain. I, it's so fascinating. And what makes it even more fascinating is the fact that they're back to back, like those two teams on the last two national championships, just because you would think at that point, you know, you can build off the momentum of winning the national championship, but I, it's a lot easier to be one and done and have one year. I mean, you can talk about this across, you know, any level of sport, right? To have that one year where you go on a run and win it all, opposed to building a foundation where that now becomes a consistent thing. It's a lot tougher than that, right? Like it's a, it's a different set of challenges, right? Sustaining the winning is a different set of challenges as building the winner. And, um, you know, I don't want to say it's pressure, but it's, again, this just points to how volatile it can be to have 18 to 23 year olds who have to go out there and do the most important thing in the sport, right? Because if you, if you got guys who just, you know, can't compete and, and don't turn out, you're kind of you're kind of stuck. There's nothing you can do, and it's really hard at the level that they play at and the conference that they play at to just bash your way to uh, Omaha. And I th- I think that like I I don't know I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what even the real crux of the issue is, other than they're just not successful on the mound right now. Yeah. I mean, you and you you look at all the, the the bottom teams in these Power Five conferences, and what can you usually point to is their their issue. This guy's on the mound. And I'll tell you, I think I know what the what the problem is too on the mound. They don't throw enough strikes. Well, that's I mean, you can you always know that's it, but why? I guess is what I'm saying. Like how do you like how do you discern why? These kids are so talented, right? Like it's not you go out there and every guy that Ole Miss runs out there has such good stuff. I mean, you watch it. It's like such good stuff. It's like, why can't they compete in the zone? I mean, we saw it one of the first weekends with Maryland. They kept Maryland in those games because they were loading the bases on on walks. Brutal. Brutal. I mean, Ole Miss as a staff has 115 walks in 202 innings, and Mississippi State's even worse. They have 158 walks in 217 innings. And like you said, these are staffs that are talented. Ole Miss as a staff has 232 strikeouts in 202 innings. Ole Miss or Mississippi State's even better again, 268 strikeouts in 217 innings. But those walks, you just can't live with them. And then not to mention in the bully ball, balloon ball, juiced baseball, college baseball that we're in today, Ole Miss has given up 37 home runs on the on the year. So what is going to kill your team's vibes no matter what you try to do? Walk two guys and give up a three-run bomb. <laughs> walk, 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 three-run bomb guys, is a deflator. <laughs> yeah, walk two guys, call to the pen, new guy comes in, filling up the strike zone well thankfully it's for a poolside homer from the opposition so that's probably and mississippi state's given up 30 home runs on the year i mean listen to these runs scored against mississippi state i mean they're pitching to a 6.7 as a stat that is brutal kentucky's finished out the series and scored 12 and 17 in the last two games then vandy rolled up scored 26 18 and 11. You know, if you're the pitching coach at Mississippi State, you're licking your fingers like you just had a nice old T bone steak after you gave up 11 runs because at least you had a fighting chance. 
you're looking over your shoulder is what you're doing. I don't nah, want he's to... gone. He's uh, gone. He's like, it's the, it's, it's the, it, it's so funny. Cause in, in every sport outside of like basketball, like when, when stuff like this starts happening, it's the assistants are usually the first ones, right? Like you look at football, it's like, ah, we'll just fire our coordinator team's not hitting. We'll fire our hitting coach. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there it is. Walk guys and then don't throw quality strikes. Um, and you know how it is. I mean, it's so much easier to hit against teams like that. You just feel so much more confident as a hitter in the box. I mean, your stuff may be good, but I mean, you if if you're not in the zone and you're walking guys and then you're behind in the count all day, guys get comfy in there. Yeah, and you got to throw heaters. And you got to throw heaters and 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 guys are are getting a swings off and and they're able to narrow stuff down. They're able to eliminate. You just make it so much easier. When you have good stuff and you're living in the zone and they're quality strikes and you're relentless in the zone and you're not falling behind, like that's what makes that you start getting early outs, you start getting those ugly swings because guys are starting to press a little bit and they're get they start to guess a little bit. And you keep them off balance, and that's the name of the game, obviously. And it's just it always I mean, how often have you ever looked at a pitcher who's struggling, not even as a staff as a whole, but have you ever looked at a pitcher who's struggling just individually and you can't just point it back to being able to compete in the strike zone? Like it's almost, it's always like, it's almost always compete in the strike zone. Like it is hitting so hard that it is rare that it's like, oh, he just throws too many strikes and gets crushed. Like that's, I will say the only, the only, only level that it is like that is in the MLB. Sure, and that's just your stuff isn't good enough at that level. Your stuff is not good you're, enough. You're, like Zach Ranky is going to get clobbered this year. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's going to try to nibble around the zone. His stuff's just not good enough. Well, and, and but I think. Sure. I mean, that's a tough and break for you to use. Granky is an example, a guy who's had a great career and like might saying, be smart enough to outfox people. But yes, like when you see a guy who, uh, when you see a dude making a spot start for a bad team in Major League Baseball, then it's not a prospect you've ever heard of. And like, he's usually a guy who throws a lot of strikes and the manager is just praying that like, look at half the guys who made the starts for the Nationals last year, right? It's like guys who aren't going to walk the world because of the big leagues, like you're not even going to get a chance unless you're punching two guys out per nine or two guys out per inning. Like, so it's like usually a guy who just is going to get rocked because he just, his stuff isn't good enough. But when you talk about college baseball, like it's typically hard. it's like, right. Cause hitting so hard, like there's, there's eight guys out there who can catch the ball that you hit. Like, so it's like, it's like hitting's hard. If you're not putting guys on for free and you're in the strike zone with your stuff, it's, it's never like, man, this guy's walked 10 guys on the year, but he has a seven ERA. As a starter, like you've never seen, like you just don't see that. Like it's always like, oh, this guy has command problems and then he gets hit because then when he gets in the zone, he can't, you know, it's down the middle. Yeah. And, and I think as well. So, you know, there are some positives, at least we'll point out some positives for Mississippi state is, you know, their offense is doing fine. They're hitting 298 as a team. They're 36 for 40 on stolen bases. They have 40 home runs. That's pretty darn good, quite frankly. Like that's that's pretty good offense. You would take that forty home runs, thirty six bags. You're almost hitting two home runs a game and stealing two bases a game, and that's being down too. You don't usually run when you're down by forty six. You know, you're not <laughs> kicking onside kicks when you're down big. Um, the Mississippi State, so you know, I just it, it, you they're it. up the they're up the river. I mean, I, to me, it's like this is a t- they're up the river. I, I and maybe it's recency bias where I wouldn't. I'm not going to sell Ole Miss up the river yet. Um, whereas like, 
Yeah. I still, for some reason, think they could turn it around a little bit because they were playing. They were playing pretty good ball before conference play started. They've had two really. T- I mean, getting swept by. Flo- it's not like that's going to be the last team to get that's- swept by Florida this year. That was going to be my point. Is Mississippi State welcomes a South Carolina team who can hit? Yeah, they're in trouble. <laughs> they're in trouble. <laughs> you want to watch fireworks this weekend? Watch that yeah. series. Yeah, if they're going to put free bases and and give guys just everything. It's exactly it's going to be a barn burner, and South Carolina is going to score a lot of runs. But when you look at Ole Miss, Vanderbilt's playing their best baseball right now. Florida's arguably the best lineup in the country, really good pitching staff. Like that's six losses right there. Right. Okay. That you can excuse that, right. You shouldn't go. Oh, and six, you should win one, two. You shouldn't be sitting at zero and six, but there are worse programs to lose to. You lost your opening day starter in Hunter Elliott, who's been struggling with injuries. And that's now running on, I think the third year straight and that's a guy who you basically rode to the world series and national championship right there who you were expecting to be your ace i mean we saw gunner hoagland go down two years ago um and midway through the year i think they were struggling it was a turnstile of rotation last year but their offense has been fine they're hitting 307 as a team with 41 home runs peyton chatney is finally showing some power that everybody thought he was going to be talented enough he's hitting 302 with six home runs kemp alderman's leading the squad with 363 with 10 home runs jacob gonzalez who's a consensus top 10 pick in this year's mlb draft is hitting 326 with four home runs so it's not like the talent's not there It's not like they have played bad teams. It seems like just a perfect combination of losing your ace, turnstile rotation the rest of the way. I mean, two and three was kind of iffy before the year, let alone now that you lose your top guy, and just playing really good baseball clubs to open up SEC play. I mean, again, it's not excusable, but there's a reason you're not giving up on Mike Bianco's squad and just being like, this team's done. Mississippi State seems like they're dead in the water. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mississippi State's up the river. I, the, the talent's there for Ole Miss. I I don't know how much longer they have. I I mean, you got you can't just keep dropping conference game. I mean, you're it's impossible. Like, unfortunately, that's how conference play works. Like, you keep dropping conference games, and you're you're up the river as well. But I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, in terms of. Getting into the tournament, I believe you have to go barely sub five hundred to get into the regional. Yeah, but even then, at that uh, to get into the regionals or the yeah, yeah. I mean, that's tough. I mean, it's all twelve and fifteen. They could name brand. Yeah, I mean, with a hot SEC tournament. That's what the so that's where I was going to say the thing that gets murky there is like you. You'll get into the SEC tournament, you'll get a bad draw, and that's what's worrisome because, again, the, the teams at the top of that league are just so good. They're, you know, they're on a mission. And you know at that point in the year, if they continue to roll, they just have so much momentum. But, I mean, we saw Tennessee last year who everyone penciled them into Omaha, and they went home quick. Yeah. And let's 
Let's take some bad logistics here. I work for UPS. You work in the trucking industry. And we're going to go all the way from Austin, Texas to the state of Mississippi. We're going to head south and west. We're going to go down to Baton Rouge to Alex Box Stadium and talk about some fun. That was the first time we had to go negative on this podcast and kind of tear apart a couple programs. So now we're going to have some fun. So, you know, just give me your initial thoughts on this weekend, Tennessee traveling to, to Baton Rouge to take on the Tigers. What, what are some things that you're just super excited to see? I mean, obviously the the matchup on the mound Friday night, um, both offenses Thursday are night. Thursday night, sorry, Thursday, Friday, Saturday this, this week. But yeah, so I mean, the, uh, the matchup on the mound Thursday night is going to be, you know, two guys who are in contention to be top five picks in the draft. You got... Um, two offenses who are typically loaded. Obviously, Tennessee has had their their struggles a little bit, but you know there's so much talent on that team, and they looked a lot better this weekend. Um, so you, you kind of think that uh, that that they'll get it going now in this weekend. I mean, this this has been building up. Everybody talked about it when this, you know we've been talking about it for weeks. Um, how important this series was and how much fun it was going to be. So. You would expect Tennessee to show up, and then obviously LSU's lineups just filled with really, you know, I mean, they're they're all unbelievable. There's not a guy in that lineup that uh, swings a weak bat, and and so it's just it's two heavyweights. This is what you you want to watch, right? This is as good as it gets. This is the you know arguably the two best teams in the country uh, going into the year. They've played really good ball up to this point, uh, outside of Tennessee's hiccup in Columbia, Missouri, but you know. What's not to be excited for? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to say this, but I'd say Tennessee has the advantage on the mound through the series. Through the series, um, yeah. I think in terms of that's real quick. That's so here. so the the hard thing when you when you start to try and match up like that, like it's the same thing as when you know they talk about it, you know, in, in in football too. It's like, well, their defensive line is better than their defensive line, but it's like, yeah, okay, so tell me about the offensive lines, right? Like. I would say at this point in the season, though, Tennessee might have the the advantage on the mound throughout the weekend, but I would tell you that LSU has the better lineup. Yeah, I think that's that's where I was kind of 50-50 on, is I think in terms of name value, one through nine, Tennessee's lineup might be better, uh, just kind of running through the role. But performance-wise. But performance-wise, intangibles-wise, the way these guys compete, the way these guys at the top perform between Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Trey Morgan, like that. Oh, Trey Morgan's player. a ball player, man. He is. And, you know, I just like on paper, you might be able to say that Tennessee's a more talented roster, which is crazy to think about because of how loaded LSU is. But. I think when push comes to shove, I like the way this LSU team plays better. I like the way they handle adversity better. I like the way they seem as a culture better. And that's completely 100% my bias because Leah came on here and right. lauded Jay Johnson and how he's been building that culture. But when you watch them play, I mean, it says everything you need to know when they get punched in the face Correct. by Arkansas on Friday night in a game you're supposed to win. Paul Skeen should go 15-0 and on the year. Paul Skeen should never lose a Friday night game. You should never have to worry about losing that matchup. And you get punched in the teeth. Arkansas throws their best reliever out in crunch time. He carves you up. They take a big lead late. They stomp on your throat, and they kick you out of your own ballpark. At home, right. Yeah, 
and you show up the next day and mercy roll them and then beat them 14 to 5. And a doubleheader, right? You sweep them. Like, that's what's the most impressive part. And like, to so, me, it's – Yeah, the yeah. ability to handle adversity. We saw Tennessee in Columbia, Missouri. And, again, I didn't watch that series, so I can't say for certain because, again, there were, there were other series going on. You know, we didn't expect to see Tennessee get swept by Missouri. But – that team got punched in the face and their coach had to send a message. Now was the message of the midweek where he basically went all JV squad. Was it message? He, I, these guys are a little better than JV, but yeah. <laughs> Developmental squad. Then I'll, <laughs> I'll use pro polit- <laughs> We'll use uh, nice words here. I guess <laughs> we'll keep it as politically correct. We can't call them the JV squad here. I mean, God, they're just a little bit, they're a little bit better than JV squad players. Those kids, but yeah, sure. <laughs> But uh, so the developmental the developmental squad trotted out on Wednesday night and won himself a ball game. You know, was that message received? And I mean, if that's the case, if Tennessee's going to show up there and you know they love being the villain and they're going to play with their hair on fire. Well, that's I think that I think one of the questions that we have to start looking at as we continue to watch Tennessee this year is because the vibes definitely do seem a little bit different. And you'd expect that it's a different team every year. It's new. Is does this team love being the villain? And we talked about that a couple weeks ago when we were previewing conference play starting was this is a new Tennessee team and no one feels sorry for them after what they did last year because they were the villain. Right. That team played that 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 heel role and that villain role so well. They enjoyed it. They loved it. We didn't know if this team did, but every team that they just, you know, ran over last year remembers that. And this is a different set of circumstances when you're playing LSU. You know, it's not AM, it's not even, you know, Ole Miss the way they're playing this year. Like you gotta go to you gotta go down to Baton Rouge and um I bet you those fans remember. And those guys, that's a proud group of dudes in that LSU dugout. That's a, a talented group of guys in that LSU dugout. So this is, I mean, this is a huge test. I wonder what we would be saying about it if they didn't get swept at Missouri. I wonder if they had taken care of business, what we would be saying about this if we would, you know, because to me right now, I would expect LSU to win the series. Um, You know, I would expect them to win Thursday and, and then take another one of the last two. But if they had won, you know, if they had, if Tennessee had swept at Missouri, I wonder if that's kind of, if we'd be keeping that same energy. No, I don't think we would. I think we'd be talking about this as like right. the best series of the year, which it probably is. Um, and I think a lot of people think it is. But, you know, you're, uh, the point you made about them not wanting to be the villain is probably a really good point about this team. I mean, they definitely play with some swagger. Guys like Blake Burke, guys like Christian Moore, guys like Jared Dickey, they don't really shy away from, you know, pushing the edges of that's so prevalent in college in the college game right now though that like yeah everybody plays everybody does right like i mean we've been talking about it for a week now tommy white's gonna walk out there looking like you just created him and that will be the show i mean (laughs) he's gonna have eye black all over his face he's gonna look like an offense he's gonna look like an offensive tackle He's going to have three and a half arm sleeves on. He's going to have Joey Bats forearm wrist tape. He's going to have two chains hanging out. He's going to have the Fernando Tati sunglasses on, um, on his hat because it's a night game. You know what I mean? So, like, it's like that's so prevalent that, yeah, Tennessee has some guys that plays with a swag, but they're not throwing bats in the other team's dugout like they were last year. They haven't yet. They might, yeah. if someone gets, if one of those guys gets Paul Skeen, so they might. 
Oh, when especially with that crowd being the way that Correct. it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that it's like right, but the emotions are going Correct. to be, be high. high. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a very emotional weekend. Christian Moore, like I said, he's a guy that plays with flair. Now, they don't have anybody who plays with Drew Gilbert level. No. F you. There's not a guy like Jordan Beck who might throw up the middle finger as he's rounding right. second base on this team. You know, those guys definitely, they do a little shimmy after they hit a home run or something, but it, it's not to that extent where these guys, you know, they play with some swagger. You know, there's no doubt about it, but you're right. It's not going to be like, hey, Jay Johnson, why don't you go get your guy Paul Skeens out of there because we're roughing him up, like chirping the other team and, and say stuff like that. You know, if you know, you know. Um, talking to a head coach about pulling this pitcher. Um but uh, anything else on that series before we, we move on to preview some other stuff? No, I mean, it's going to be, it'll be what it's billed as. I think it's, you know, just the, like you just said, the emotions are going to be high. That stadium's going to be electric. Um, everyone in Baton Rouge, Louisiana will be at that stadium those three days. So yeah, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be playoff type atmosphere. Right. And for those of you who don't follow college baseball, but watch college football, you know, picture, picture, you know, a big SEC on Saturday matchup. It's, it's going to be like that. It's going to be gonna show up. It's going to be big. It's, it's going to be, be rocking. And, you know, for for everything that this weekend is, I would say it's kind of a light weekend other than outside of Tennessee versus LSU, um, which is obviously big enough to kind of carry the weight of the whole weekend. But there are some good series across the country. We have number 19, Texas heading to Stillwater, take on number 17, Oklahoma State. You would think this was like conference tournament time with the way the Big 12 schedule. I know. You got Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. You got Texas and Texas Tech, and then you got Oklahoma State and Texas. Like back to back to back weekend. It's cannibalism. Knock, yeah, just knock your best teams. Like let them it's beat ca- up it's each other right. It's so, cannibalism. It's exactly what happens in their can, football then season. They get Kansas in May. Um, <laughs> no, get tune up. Yeah. So then number eighteen, Kent, Kentucky, who's playing really good baseball, sneakily. I mean, this is SEC baseball is just different. I mean, I know in the <sighs> in football it is different. But, like, you're talking about 1 through 12. Kentucky is not a team we talk about as a baseball powerhouse. Well, guess what? They have three losses on the year, and they're number 18 in the country. They're welcoming in number 25, Missouri. If you told me Kentucky was playing Missouri in football, I'd puke. Kentucky and Missouri are playing a top 25 matchup in baseball. Eli Eli Drinkwitz walking up and down the sideline looking like he's constipated the whole time. Yeah, so that's a really good series to watch. Number five, Virginia heads to Blacksburg to take on a high-variance Virginia Tech team. Obviously, we talked about Virginia Tech. They were playing really good baseball. They've kind of come off the rails here. We'll see if they can get right against a really good Virginia team. Um, in a battle of reeling teams, you have Ole Miss taking on Texas A&M. Uh, both those teams have not started off SEC play great. Texas A&M's coming off a sweep from Tennessee after losing a series to LSU, and obviously we dove in on what Ole Miss has been through. Iowa heads to Maryland to kick off Big Ten play with a big test for both teams. Obviously, Iowa has a ton of talent. They've shown some playing really good baseball we like maryland's offense let's see if their pitching staff kind of takes a step forward coming into big 10 play uh number eight louisville comes to raleigh again our neck of the woods after taking a series loss to notre dame they look to respond against a struggling nc state team 
shocker, Big 12's having another barn burner early this season. <laughs> TCU heads to Lubbock, Texas to take on Texas Tech. Just let them beat up on each other. And and most importantly, Dan and Trevor head to Wilson County to take on the old men of the Wilson County BFW for the Wilson County Open Pickleball Tournament. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking forward to anything, LSU, Tennessee, and, and us uh, playing a bunch of old men in, in a pickleball tournament this weekend, I don't know which, which is going to draw more eyes. Um, you know, I don't know how many people does the box hold. About probably, probably, probably about half of what uh, uh is going to be packed at the the Wilson County Parks and Rec on Saturday. Uh, yeah. to see that. So, uh, but Pretty yeah, no, I, I mean, there's definitely it might be a, a lighter weekend, but it's a it's an interesting weekend. I mean, that Ole Miss Texas A and M series almost feels like a uh, loser goes home weekend, right? It's almost like an elimination weekend. Uh, for both yeah. those teams, it feels like. I mean, Texas A and M have been playing much like Ole Miss. I mean, Texas A and M have been playing good ball, and then they just unfortunately opened up with with two the two best teams in the conference. So, um, yeah. can Ole Miss get on track here while A and M's down, or will A and M rebound? That's a that's an interesting one. The cannibalism in the Big Twelve is fascinating, and Virginia going to Blacksburg, man. That's a those high variance teams like they'll still don't, get you. Right, and like when when the oh here comes the number five team. Like if there's a weekend where that team's going to play its best ball, it's going to be this one. Um, and and I don't like the the Wolfpack's chances against Louisville coming in no, angry. Coming the ang- right, angry, angry. Yeah, yeah. Coach Fit- Coach Fitzgerald will have them boys rolling for that yeah. weekend. Um, so they're going to play good baseball, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, NC State who. Also had a tough start to their conference series and season. I mean, they went to Miami. They got Louisville coming to town. They've had Virginia in town. Like, but we we kind of saw this run. coming a little bit more with them, just because of how like they were they were win- reeling off all those wins early in the year. But it, it yeah. wasn't the stiffest of competition. So like, yeah. you could see this one coming. You knew NC, NC State lost a bunch of pieces uh, from that last year's team. So yeah. Uh, it's not as surprising as, uh, say, Old Miss. No, not at all. Not at all. So until next time, uh, make sure you guys are liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast uh, using the promo code Backside Ground Ball. As I said, uh, Dan and I will be at the game next week, so uh, make sure you're checking that out. We'll be getting stuff up on the TikTok, Paul Skeens Live. We'll be getting Dylan Cruz live. Uh, you know, we might schmooze up Monty Lee and maybe get some press passes, some live interviews, some stuff like that. Who knows? Who knows what we got in store? But that'll probably be our college baseball episode is going to probably be. Dan doesn't know this yet, but us driving back on Friday night, we're going to record our recap of the weekend or of the two games that we were at. So we're going to, we're going to knock that out in the car um, and have a good, good drive home. That'll kill an hour of our, our drive. So um, that'll be the college baseball episode that we bring to you. And we're going to be having our preview content uh, coming out. So we're going to prioritize a little bit of MLB before we head to Columbia, South Carolina. So uh, make sure you're using the promo code backside ground ball again. Backside Ground Ball on SeatGeek. Uh, get your any live event needs. Uh, head out for a baseball game this coming week. But until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast. Mm-hmm.